Testing, one, two, three. Welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for the working photographer. I am Tyler Stallman. And I am Cameron Whitman. And <laughs> I want to spend the first uh, half hour of this podcast apologizing for the audio quality of the last one. Yeah. Did you listen to it yet? No, I could I just I can't listen to it. I just already know how yeah, bad it is. It's pretty bad. Sorry guys. I, but Sean was such a great guest to have on. I I know the really professional thing to do would be to just apologize to him profusely, suck up and get him to come back and re-record everything. But I I don't know. I felt like there'd be something missing if we Yeah, had, it wouldn't be the same. No, uh, yeah. So it'd be a different thing altogether. We'll so. just have that one dud episode sitting there that if anybody wants to sit through the echoey sounds of it. They can. Anyway, what are you up to lately? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just It's a long weekend for you, right? Yeah, it's a long weekend. It's Memorial Day, so um we're we're doing a bit of spring cleaning. So there's there's a lot of throwing of things away <laughs> and digging out things. And so um I pulled out my uh my four by five view camera and started getting ideas about it again. And then ideas. I was thinking like, well, yeah, because I had ideas about it about a year ago and I bought a bunch of film and um, the first couple exposures, I failed completely. So I gave up. And so now I'm like, well, you know, if I've been shooting more film and maybe I'll be more patient and, and actually get through this in a sensible way. What did you script? And the so first then, time? you know, I was thinking, well, I mean, the exposures, they came out like totally black. Oh, okay. Um, so in large format photography, if you like, I was trying to do something that was um, would be considered macro for the length of of lens that I was using. So, um, have you ever used a view camera before? No, never. So your focus range is within 135 millimeters in terms of the length length of the bellows. Okay, okay. Or for that because my lens is a 135, so that means that I have 135 millimeters of focus. Um, if I have to, if I'm gonna do something that's closer up than that, then then you have to measure the length and then do some algebra mm-hmm. <laughs> to figure out what the exposure is. But it, it increases like a lot. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it's crazy. And so um, I kind of guessed what the exposure would be, and I failed. And so the thing was, is it was also it was on uh, transparency film, so. There's no failing on <laughs> transparency. Like, uh, okay. if you blow it, it's blown. So it was so, maybe more the fact that it was on positive film than the large format. I would say that it was it was more the fact that I blew it, and like the fact that it was on transparency made it. Yeah, you just couldn't save it. Yeah, exactly. It was right. unrecoverable. It's it's tough. It's not. I wouldn't go out and recommend to anybody that they start shooting large format with transparency film. A, it's expensive as hell um and then you gotta you know getting it um developed and scanned all that is a nightmare so i remembered that i had actually carved out a solution for scanning way back when when i got the damn camera um and i bought the uh, epson 4990 Mm -hmm. scanner which at the time was the, the the very best and uh, from what I understand, it's not much different than the V700 and 750 series. It's just uh, in terms of optical and, and all that, like it still does about the same job. So it's actually, it's quite good for scanning large format. So yeah, I'm looking into it. Cool. It might be a waste of time. <laughs> 
we'll see your results if it is or not. I mean, from what I've seen, it's, it's really hard to get nice results out of those scanners. I I don't know about that particular one. Like I, I know very little about your own arrangement, but just from other people's work that I've seen, it's, it, there's like some lack of depth to the color or, or yeah, but that you're, you know, you, you all also have to judge that against, I mean, people can use the exact same setup you have digitally and not come up with the same results. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, I think it's a lot of it is to do with how you go about using the, the hardware and, and the software involved in, I guess I'd say you just have some extra handicaps. You have some, you have some additional obstacles to overcome potentially. Yeah. yeah, but if I can sort it out, then then it would be it might be fun. Who knows? You know, maybe it's something that that I occasionally you know realize that oh, this would be really cool yeah. <laughs> in yeah. large format. You know, it'd probably be safer in black and white too. Yeah. So I was shooting something kind of fun yesterday. Oh, what's that? There was a fashion show in Calgary. I oh, think, uh, okay. I think I talked about one of them on a previous episode that uh, we ha- we have a kind of one show that is the most professionally produced show in Calgary. So Calgary is not a huge market for fashion stuff. So it's the things that happen here are only so big, but these ones are right. really well done. Okay. And I was shooting the official video and photos for the show at once, which I think right. on this show I've sworn I sh- will never do again. Yeah. I was going to say, didn't you say <laughs> that you were, you called that off? Uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I told them I would. So then I did, ah, but I, the- I had help as well. So, so that helped. Um, our assistant, Alan was, he, he showed up about halfway through. So, um, he was able to pick up some of the extra shots and then Lauren, who kind of assists Ani a lot of the time was helping us run around and, and get some bit as well. So I had some extra hands making it happen. So hopefully it turned out, I'm actually downloading them right now. Oh, cool. So you did this yesterday? Yeah, last night. And I, I actually, if you can hear the scratchiness in my voice, it's not at yeah. all being sick. It's that it was uh, in kind of like a giant parking complex. So it was this like gritty industrial look, but Ew. also very dusty. <laughs> so like it looked cool, but it, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not the most sanitary stuff. place to hang out for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was a good time either way. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I rented the Sony A7S for that. Oh yeah. Well, I knew I wanted this camera. I've used this camera before. I know that I love this camera. And yeah. um now this is the most that I've really shot on it. Mm-hmm. And what it made me think about um to be relevant for the show is is talking a bit about megapixels because this is a 12 megapixel camera, which Wow, is, really? Yeah, obviously not a <laughs> whole lot for for a, you know, basically a $3,000 camera almost. Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah, so th- this is a special case because it really is meant for primarily video. Mm-hmm. But it introduces that idea of uh, how much do you need? You know, how many megapixels is enough megapixels? Yeah. And it, it made me think back to the megapixel race. Yeah. <laughs> which I think everybody agrees is over at this point, really. Should be. I think it's still happening a little bit in cell phones. But for the most part, we kind of just got to where we needed to be. Where did you find yourself landing comfortably? I think I was, I felt comfortable with the 5D Mark II already. Although I don't remember how many megapixels the 5D Mark I was. Basically, the, around 20. Right, which is a lot. Yeah, anything over 20. And the, the main reason 
that the only reason that a 12 megapixel camera wouldn't feel like enough for me is cropping. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, well, sorry, that's not true. Cause, and then also licensing photos uh, as stock. And a lot of the work we do is web work and a lot of work everybody does right now is web work. Mm-hmm. And if I know that what I'm producing was only going to go to web, usually mm-hmm. that is honestly enough. And most clients don't end up making huge prints. Like often if you have really, you know, like 12 ish, really beautiful pixels, megapixels, um, yeah, meaning like that they're, you know, they aren't too noisy. Like they're very sharp and you can upsample a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it, it goes a really long way, but the, the big downside is you can't crop in. Right. Not for, not for stock. Yeah. Yeah. No, well not for much of anything. I mean, you can, you can crop a little bit for web, I guess, but you, it, the image starts to disappear a lot faster. Like you realize how, how much smaller, you know, 12 to compared to 25 megapixels is once you take 30% of the image away. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of, of, uh, shooting 35 millimeter film in which I scan at six megapixels. So. That's how we were measuring it at first when the, the race started it was right. all about how does it look compared to film? Constantly, people are like, the camera companies kept saying, now it's as good as film at six <laughs> megapixels and at eight and at 16. And when do, you think, when do you think it got sharper than film? There's different attributes, right? There's sharpness, there's latitude, there's all sorts of different things to compare it to. But I think that was the main thing people talked about. And when do you feel like they were kind of on par with 35 for me, I, I feel like, uh, gosh, what year was that? Um, I'm going to say, um, for me personally, it was the uh, Nikon D700 was the, that moment. And I guess that would also be the same sensor as the Nikon D3. So what's that, like 2008, maybe? Which is how many megapixels? So, we're, I mean, we're on the opposite sides of the it's, brand. It's 12, it's okay. 12. And, um, you know, at, at that point, because, you know, before that, you know, we were using the, the crop sensors, which uh, were not producing the same result in terms of all those attributes that you mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the D700 was the first time that I was just like, oh, okay, now this is, this is different. We turned the corner on digital, and now, like, this is the option, you know, for doing any kind of professional work. Yeah. And then from there, it just got more and more intense because, like, um, when the D eight hundred and that, you know, th- those sensors started coming out, that's when everything changed. And now everybody's sensors are that good. And to some extent, it it doesn't feel like the race is completely over because there were when I thought that we had leveled out uh, just over twenty, right? Yeah, with the five Ds and the Nikon equivalents. But then nikon went and started basically making medium format size images inside of dslrs Mm -hmm. and now sony's done it as well with the a7r both you know nearing 40 megapixels which i think is is totally overkill oh and now canon's done it of course i'm forgetting that now there's a 5d s as well which is 50 right which is technically the same as It's a medium format. Yeah. But how does that how does that render? Does it render the same? Like I don't know. Yeah, when I've looked at the samples, it look like it looks like the pixels are all there. It looks great. The mm-hmm. sensor is as good as it needs to be. But I always worry more about the lenses because these lenses were not designed 
to to render like that like exactly on a on a medium format camera those lenses were always designed to be seen much larger right yep and that's that's really i think that that's the the big question so i think that if you're if you're using uh, I know that out of personal experience, if you're using a, the D800 at 36 megapixels, like you have to ha- use your very best glass always, every time. Yeah, like yeah. you don't throw a, like a, a, an okay lens on top of that because it's you know you're gonna see the difference a lot. Whereas on a 12 megapixel, you know it didn't matter as much. All the fuzz and all the aberration and every bad attribute of the lens gets magnified times a million. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it gets intense really fast. What are your options on that camera for downsizing when you shoot? For the D800? Yeah, can you can you, you can't shoot at 20 megapixels raw, can you? Um you can I don't think so. I mean, you can do the crop sensor. So it, it yeah, definitely that's not the, It's that's not, the not the same, same but no. you can also um you can also do uh 4x5 aspect, which does shorten or no, but reduce. that's not the same either. Like no, there's it, you're just Canons have the sense, the, the idea of of small and medium raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, but that's not on Nikon's at all. It's not even a thing. No, it's not, and it's it's obnoxious. It's oh, always yeah, bothered awful. me because I can't use the D eight hundred to shoot events. Yeah, so exactly. I don't have a, an, a viable option for a second camera. Because all of a sudden your 64 gig card or even 128 gig card is cut in half. Yeah, basically. and like, let's be honest, like. No, I'm, you know, it's just, I've, I've done it before and I, I, I just said, you know, I, I said, forget it. I'm using one camera because, uh, you know, 36 megapixels times, you know, 2000 photos from a wedding is, is the worst kind of nightmare. That's so strange to me because that would make sense if all the cameras get to a point where, Hey, we can shoot 40, 50 megapixels. Yeah. Natively. Yeah, but you can really easily shoot smaller. You can kind of choose whatever size you want to shoot it, and they all work as you would expect. That'd be a fantastic solution, right? Like, sure, yeah. But it's not that way. So yeah, yeah, it's not. Not for and, Nikon anyway. I don't know what they're thinking. Right. And I, I'm always curious about what's really happening because I look at when I look at the resized 100% images between these larger format and normal format cameras, mm-hmm. the, the return is diminishing on, on the quality for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I think maybe we need somebody on that is a big fan of these large sensor or large megapixel. Right. So they can sell us on the, on the, on the positive attributes. Yeah, exactly. Because mm-hmm. if I see when I've seen a five D Mark three right next to a D 800, right. And and it's upsampled or downsampled to match each other. They feel quite similar to me. Not the same. Like you, you can see it's a little bit sharper, but it it isn't that drastic. I mean, I don't feel like on a billboard, which is that like frankly, that's why you've got the extra megapixels, right? I, I don't feel like it's yeah, going to yeah. jump out at you. No, you're not going to see it at all compared to a medium format camera, which. Yes, you can see it. You can see where those extra pixels are going, and uh, you know those new Sony sensors that everybody like Hasselblad used this year, and uh, Pentax, and everybody stuck those new, really beautiful, giant CMOS sensors in, <laughs> and that's worth it. I've I've still never seen. I've never had my hands on. Well, actually, I, I I had my hands on on the Pentax, but I've never seen the results. Well, you must have seen them 
come through in your in your photo editing? Um, not really, because there's not really no. um, most of the people who shoot for Stoxy use um, you know the 35 millimeter equivalent of of digital cameras. So there's not a lot of people. I mean, there are a couple people that are shooting medium formats, but. To be honest with you, I have never looked at it and said like, "Oh yeah, that's really obvious difference." <laughs> right. Well, from people that use them often, I've I've heard that the biggest difference that you'll really fall in love with is that there is more latitude. Right. That you have the the when you have that much extra space for a sensor, you can make the quality better in more ways than one. Right. It's not just a bigger image. It's it's like each pixel is doing a little less work. So you don't have to like st- stretch it quite as far. Oh, that's that's kind of exciting. But yeah, now I'm stretching my knowledge because I don't actually shoot medium format myself. Right. Yeah. I've heard I've heard great things about it. So I'm sure, but, I, but I, I think my argument for it or against it is that you know for the work that that I do digitally, I, I feel like I feel like my my Nikon's do every bit that I need. Yeah. You know, and I think for anything more than that. Like I want to shoot it on film. <laughs> yeah, I and I think I'm at the same place as well. Although, but I want <laughs> I want <laughs> to need a bigger format camera. But frankly, the the downsides would it, it would slow me down so much that I don't think I actually care that much. I drool over it occasionally, but sure, it slows you down, and it's it's much more difficult to to manage taking the shots. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, like I don't know. I think that medium format, and if you're just taking portraits or something, like it's it's great. I love it. Um, but if you're doing something that requires thinking on your toes, it's nothing like using a, a an SLR or a DSLR for that matter. Right. Yeah. Nothing like there's no way that you can maneuver that quickly, and you're forced to slow down, which can be nice sometimes, but sometimes it's not what you want. Right. And I think that you know the way that that cameras are the smaller the camera the more likely that you can you can make a candid photo from it and the larger the camera the less likely so as you move into larger formats it probably also means that that your subjects are are you know not moving around so much you know it's just something i've been thinking about like while looking at my view camera it's just like well what am i going to shoot because like <laughs> what is slow enough that you can capture it? Well, and also, like, you know, how are you going to be willing to to wait around for the light to be worth it? Because mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that was that's the real trick with um, large format is is not only like a, a plan and intention, but also patience just to wait for the moment. Because I mean, each exposure costs quite a bit more than than <laughs> yeah. any other format that you can use and it's like well it's not going to be worth it at all unless everything comes together beautifully is that why you haven't shot anything on your 4x5 lately yes the um, fear of wasting money yeah i mean and time yeah. time and time and money so it's like mm-hmm. you know it's 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 a it, i i love 35 millimeter i love medium format most of all and you know like i i'm very curious about large format i want to know but I mean, I think, and I think that translates to to the megapixel war, you know, because I don't think that 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 you need it unless you unless you absolutely need it. How do you feel when you're shooting your iPhone? How do you feel about megapixels then? 
Oh, it, it doesn't even factor for me at all. I mean, yeah, I, I know, incredible. yeah, no, I know it's big enough that if I if if I get a killer shot, then I can I can still use it. Um, as long as the lighting is sufficient to not completely destroy those few megapixels <laughs> that I'm working right. with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I generally I, I think of the iPhone as is a sketchbook for ideas, you know. So like mm-hmm. most of the f- photos that I shoot on my iPhone are never seen because if I if I like it a lot, then I'm gonna go and try and shoot it on film, and I usually have. And that other camera with me. So if I'm like just walking around, I'm usually like snapping shots with my iPhone. And then if if I see if so something's coming together, then I'll take a shot with something else. Well, you also aren't a huge Instagram user because for it, for people that are actually posting as it happens, yeah. that you know the behavior is kind of different. Yeah. I find that well when Anya and I are shooting, and a lot of the time we will take a shot just for Instagram with the phone at Mm -hmm. the same time as we're shooting with other stuff. And sometimes I really like the extra perspective that having that smaller sensor and wider lens can give that I completely wasn't seeing with, you know, usually I have either a 50 or a 70 to 200 on the, on the big camera. And plus the, the fact that there's depth of field, you really look at things completely differently. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be a big improvement, which is always surprising. Like, actually, this image works better when it's all in focus. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think um, it's. I think it's. It's great actually because it it relieves you of that, you know, that uh, bokeh crutch. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You have to look at things. You have to see all the way through the depth of this image to decide that you want all of it to be in there because yeah. it's all going to be sharp. I'm actually. It's funny because I've realized recently that that I'm that I think that the bokeh or bouquet or whatever what, what do you call it? I say bokeh. Okay. So you know, I think that it's it's obviously it, you know it has its moments where it's everything you want, but um, I, I I'm really just you know I think I, I look at so many photos that. Sometimes I feel like people rely on on the bokeh for the for the subject instead of the actual sub- subject. I think calling it a crutch is exactly right. Yeah, and so you know, like I, I don't know, like I think you know, it's obviously it's it's a lot of fun to have a lens that is capable of producing really sweet bokeh, but and still, it's it's just a it's it's a tool in the toolbox, and you use it appropriately, and then it's brilliant. But if you use it as a crutch, then you know it starts to to be obvious that that you're kind of lacking for other ideas. Right, yeah. Because you it it lets you not worry about anything other than the subject in the photo. Like don't worry, we'll just we'll blur that out. I think that when you're shooting subjects like food, those really wide apertures aren't as useful, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't tell the story as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's always good to, you know, if you find yourself in a crutch with something like that, with the fast lenses, it's good to find a subject that doesn't that doesn't really work that way. So you can think about it differently, just so you're always conscious of of what the options are, because there are other apertures that are that are quite lovely that exist beyond um, f four. Well, a fun thing with this A seven S is that because it's the whole point of it is that it can do really high ISOs with relatively little noise. Mm-hmm. Since the image isn't as large, the ISO also doesn't 
you, you don't see it quite as much. It doesn't affect it in, in the same way when you zoom it to a hundred percent. So you, you're willing to go up to more like 3,200. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can do with that, as well as shooting in the dark is you can also, uh, close down your aperture a whole bunch. Right. So you can shoot at F8 in not that bright of a scene because, because you want to make that creative decision, right. not just because you have to because of, of lighting conditions, which is usually why I think that happens. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that can be really helpful. I was finding it helpful yesterday because a lot of the time I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling really confident in the focus of the shot, especially in the, the video. We were also renting a, a DJI Ronin, which we talked about a bunch in the video episode, the NAB show, which is a gimbal. Okay. If you don't know what a gimbal is, it's first think of a segue because that's where the technology came from. <laughs> and it's okay. the, the gyroscope thing that levels a, a segue so that it's always standing straight up. And then that turned into drones, uh, which then turned into these gimbals so that you basically hold on to some handles and run around as fast as you want to. And it just keeps the camera steady and level. It's the modern steady cam. That's nice. what's kind of been taking over. Yeah. So we were able to do these really cool, like walking shots and running shots and sweeping movements. The downside is we, we didn't have enough of the gear to, to have two people operating the camera, like what you would, uh, the best case scenario, you'd have somebody operating the camera somewhat remotely mm-hmm. and monitoring it just beside the, the Ronin. And then somebody else is basically moving the camera and, and holding it. And then you can be watching for focus a lot more closely. And, and we weren't in that situation. Basically, we had one person doing all the work. So you kind of set the focus and then just start running around. But at 2.8 or 1.8, which is what the lenses that we had were, uh, it, mostly we were using the 35 millimeter 2.8. But at 2.8, there's not that much in focus. It was really hard to guess it. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to, to go to something like 5.6 so that we could feel a little safer with what's going to be in focus. Yeah, and I think that it's in, as, you know, a, a professional photographer, I think it's it's really important to 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 learn how your different apertures relate to the distance from your subject and the distance of the backgrounds. You know, cuz sometimes, you know, it's just the simple fact is that, you know, the the bokeh might be too big and it might be too distracting. Um and not not just, you know, a, a matter of you know, have not having the, the the subject points in focus, but it might just in, you know introduce anomalies that that you know take away from whatever it is the subject is. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I've seen this discussion happen a lot around video production as well. Obviously. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And the way to, the way that I've started thinking about it is that uh, when you watch most. Uh, major films, which is what people would look at Hollywood movies and see that blur Mm -hmm. and be like, that's what makes it look professional. So once our SLRs could do this, they're all like, look, I'm just going to blur the hell out of everything. (laughs) And that's how I'll look like a Hollywood movie. But so true. (laughs) When you actually watch those movies, many of the shots are completely in focus. Like you'll have tons of wide establishing shots where everything is in focus. Mm -hmm. And, all that is blurry is the occasional close-ups. Like when there's a conversation, there'll be lots of over the shoulder shots of people's faces. And then, yeah, like lots of, 
is blurred out or, or like th- there will be all these moments, usually close ups where there is limited focus, but th- that moment of having less in focus goes a long way. It makes the viewer remember that look for the whole scene. Yeah. And you, f- you forget about that. The, the, all the wide shots were completely sharp or that it was only 20% of the shots that had that blurry background, but it's, it sells it and it gives it that look without constantly struggling to keep one eyeball in focus. No, I was, I was thinking about, I don't know, I think we're getting off topic from our previous discussion, but... Eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> These are just suggestions of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, so... It's a way, it's a way to title the show, so... Yeah. It's tricked everybody there, to... They're, they're going to hear about megapixels, but... Yeah, the whole whatever part is is really, like, important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, don't <laughs> The whatever forget. in the title is, is extremely yeah. important in terms of what we ramble about. Um, but, you know, like, it, we're just, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm, my mind is completely focused on... on you know, relative ap- aperture versus focal length. As you know, um, Sigma just released the 24 1.4 art lens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have a few friends. Uh, one of our colleagues, Ivar Tennyson, is actually considering this. Um, and I was, you know, wondering if I was considering it. And, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that I only use 24 millimeter for event work. That's really the only time I ever shoot that that length. And you know, I started I started really questioning it because I'm like, well, I use the 24 to 70; it's so convenient. Why would I, you know, want to to switch? And you know, when I think about it, it's like, well, you know, during you know the uh, the social parts, it's really all I shoot with. You know, like when I'm taking portraits of people like together in a room, like it's usually I'm just using 24. Mm. And so, would that work? I don't know. Would it matter? I am currently selling for anyone interested a Canon 24 millimeter 1.4. <laughs> uh, you don't so use it. I mean, yeah, I don't use it. Um, what I would have used it for, what I thought I was going to use it for is for video. I wanted to put together a full kit of all the different prime levels. Mm-hmm. And it's, if it was a small lens, if it was a really small lightweight lens and still had the same specs, it would it'd probably show up in the bag more often, but it's the same size as the 50, yeah. which is to say very heavy yeah. and big. <laughs> Too big. And yeah. And for, and I don't find it to be the main thing that I use at events at events. Like I'm more between 35 and even 50. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I don't have room to, to, bring one more lens or especially to keep changing. And if the only thing you're going to use it for is events, I think you've already got the perfect candidate right there. Like 24 to 70. It just, that really makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I really, I haven't been able to con- convince myself that there was any, any need. So, yeah. and which is funny. Cause I think a year or two ago I was really thinking, Oh man, this would be so cool to have as a 24. And now I'm not shooting that wide ever. <laughs> so yeah, I I bought it to uh, you know to kind of be a completist to have the the set, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a wonderful lens. Honestly, if anybody wants to buy it, it's in great condition, Quiet. barely used. <laughs> but uh, but it's yeah, I just it's not something I shoot with that often. And I think a lot of people would be less interested in it because people buy a 1.4 for that bokeh a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. 
and you don't get that much out of it out of a 24 you get much more of the 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 fact that you can have more light that's why it's the most useful it's the most useful thing about that lens i think i think that there's there are ways to be creative with it you know like it's all about the distance to subject within the total scene yeah i'm i'm not saying you can't get blurred but also the distance to subject with a really wide lens means that if you have a human getting close to your lens yeah they start to distort they start to distort yeah but i i think that like at 24 if you can do you know, like a um, almost a full body portrait or a full body portrait at one point four, and that person will be sharp all the way through. If you know, assuming that you have a high quality lens, mm-hmm. and then everything in front of them and behind them will be thrown out of focus, and it can, yeah. if you oh, yeah, are yeah. skilled, it, works, but... it can be it can be, you know, really cool. Yeah. But I also think that like setting up that situation for consistent you know, on a consistent basis. That's that's the thing. It's more like a, a single use lens to me. It's like there's that moment where you're like, oh, this is when I would love to have that lens. Totally. But I didn't put it in my bag because I didn't want to carry it around. So yeah, I don't have it. Kind of makes me wish that I, I I had like a camera club where we <laughs> you know just like lens swap. Yeah, where everybody just had these lenses and you know, or they were like a community thing or something like that. And you could like just check it out, like a library. Because I think there's a lot of lenses that I would I think would be fun to 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 play with, but I don't need to own. My primary recommendation, the the way I describe it when people ask what camera they should buy, is that you should buy the brand that your friends have for that purpose. Yeah. Do do all your friends have Nikon's? You should probably get a Nikon because then you can learn from them. You can they can walk you through troubles that you have and troubleshoot with you, and they can lend you lenses if they're nice. And oh, it's so true. Like my second shooter. She usually, you know, she has a DF as well, so it's perfect. You know, like right. there's, she doesn't have all the same lenses that I have. Like I, I just always bring, you know, this lens or that lens as an extra, and say, hey, if you need to do that, just use this. Yeah, and it'd be pretty inconvenient if you guys couldn't share like that, right? Oh, it'd be super inconvenient. Well, I mean, it just it depends on what we're shooting, obviously, but yeah, I mean, there are occasions where it'd be a disaster. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 great. Yeah. I, I, I second that recommendation to get the camera that your friends have. And I'm just flipping through my uh, A7S photos right now. Speaking of brands, thinking about Sony's. And? And, well, I'm pretty happy with the sharpness generally. It hit focus quite a bit, which it's not supposed to focus very well, mm-hmm. in, especially in low light. The autofocus is one of the places they cut back a little on it because, again, it's meant to shoot stills kind of as a secondary thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. The colors are sort of, maybe I'm just used to Canon. Right. But I don't, I'm not immediately drawn to the, the color rendition. Yeah. That's, that's, it's a really funny thing that actually, and I don't hear that much talk about it. You know, because I think that people, you know, apply their presets, you know, and and that's pretty much the end of it. But um, right, it sort of blasts the original colors almost once you once you throw VSEO on there. Yeah, and and so you know, like I I was thinking about the, recently more than than previously. I was thinking about how much I I love my results from the DF on almost every situation. Um, and but with my Fuji X100, I love it. Love, love, love it at night, and I love it in low light situations. I think it's just incredible, um, and it's my favorite thing to have in those situations. But like when the weather's bright and sunny, like I don't, I have no use for it. Yeah, 
Which is and so weird. That's part of what I'm trying to judge here flipping through these is when does the ISO really stop being usable? Right. And I feel like I could have pushed it a little bit harder. I have a few that were at 12,800. And I mean, they feel pretty good, like pretty usable. And I think a lot of that is because it's 12 megapixels. I think if I zoomed in, let me zoom in uh, to make it look like a 20 megapixel camera. Yeah, and it it gets a little grainier at that 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I recently discovered that that um, my ISO threshold <laughs> for the uh, for the Nikon DF was um, the twelve five hundred or whatever. Okay, I was like maxed out. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you can even go higher, but like it was just you know at that point I was like, yeah, that's ugly. Don't like yeah. it. Yeah, well, and people have really different ones. Like uh, Anya actually really dislikes grain a lot more than I do. Like I have a higher personal tolerance for it than she does. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, that's like a personal thing. I think we, you and I shifted a lot over the years to being more accepting of grain as the, I think, I think that was an industry thing. At first we were all a bit more afraid of it and it, it got better for one thing so that, well, actually not, not only did the cameras get better, but noise reduction, especially built in noise reduction got much better. So, um, the things that Lightroom does on its own just when you plug a bunch of photos into it really cleans up a lot of the color noise and that's what was really ugly about those earlier digital cameras yeah Ugh, the memories yeah so now that i don't mind the, well it's the kind of funny too because so i remember l- really liking the uh the way that the grain was on like uh, 3200 films, you know, like Il- Ilford Delta or the T Max 3200. Yeah. Back when I shot it, you know, like I loved it. You know, I thought it was like, man, this lo- this stuff looks really cool in like adequate light. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like exactly not when, when you're not supposed to be using it. Um, you know, and then I think that I forgot all about that because of of the the. Uh, unattractive nature of digital noise in the, in the early days, you know, cause I, I think that anytime, so much. yeah, totally. Cause your first couple of digital cameras, if you shot past 200, it was like, well, I can't even use it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, God, how far we've come, right? So glorious. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that, those, but, uh, that memory is like, like it, it just completely, it shifted my perception of, of, the role of noise and grain and, you know, how it can add so much to, to an image. If it's, you know, if it, if it kind of in, you know, helps inform the, the situation. Do you think we're going to feel that way forever? Or are we ever going to look back and say, God, why did we accept so much grain for a while? Like what happens when this grain just is gone? I like, think looking that, at the A7S, like it's getting, we're getting closer. It's, I don't know. I think personally, I think that the, you know, grain has it, it, for me, it has a place because like, I think that on a lot of occasions it, it adds it ten, a sense of nostalgia to something, you know, it's just okay, like, but let's say we're 20 years from now, mm-hmm. there is no grain. Like you, you are only ever going to add it as a filter. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to happen. There's no, there's nothing left organically. You can shoot in pitch dark and it's perfectly smooth. Are you still going to just add like add it as just an effect that 
if you see grain, you know it was added, you know it's not naturally part of the image, Would you, will you still be adding it then, do you think? Probably. I mean, and the reason is, is because I, th- I feel like we're already there, you know, because mm-hmm. um, most of my digital images that are any, anything below ISO 1000, you know, I like to add just a little tiny bit of, of grain to them because, like, I feel like they're too slick and it's it's not – it doesn't feel realistic. And then maybe it's just because my own vision – is is slightly crappy you know like i don't know like i just i prefer to see a little bit of texture in in my file i don't know either i don't i don't have a right answer but yeah but i I think that you and i grew up watching standard definition analog tvs yeah (laughs) vhs tapes and shooting film and i think that aesthetic is going to shift there's no way that it's going to stay as it is now. And as kids grow up only watching HD TV and 4k cameras and, you know, like <laughs> I, I think the expectation is going to be a little bit different and the way that they read what grain means to them. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it'll be, but I think that's fair. Yeah. It's, it's so weird, right? <laughs> it's like, I can't like, it's, it's almost hard to imagine coming up in a, in an HD world. Yeah, yeah. I, my my first TV was black and white. Yeah. So yeah, and and the the amount of pixels in your iPhone, like that resolution, is better than anything in your home until a, f- a couple of years ago. <laughs> so yeah, um, that part, <laughs> that part alone, right there, it's like that's ridiculous. Okay, awesome. I'm gonna do like a I'm gonna do a really quick review of this A7s. Cool. Okay. Uh, and feel free to ask me questions because I didn't prepare for this in any way at all. I'm just I'm looking at it now, and uh, we've covered the whatever name of the show, but we haven't really covered <laughs> cameras. <laughs> so, first of all, this thing is probably going to be replaced pretty soon. So, a lot of the things I say may not be relevant for long. The A7 was replaced within a year, and it's coming up on the one year mark for the A7s. So, there's a good chance that. Uh, something new will come. It'll probably have image stabilization in it. And that's really what, when I'll start considering if we need to be buying one. But at this point, the, the, there are some definite downsides to it. The record button is in the weirdest place you can imagine. It's below all the thumb wheels and just kind of part of the body. Like it's not with all the other buttons. It is Mm. hanging out way to the right. And I've read that Sony put it there to avoid accidental presses so you don't accidentally start recording. (laughs) But this is also primarily a video camera, so I don't really know what they're thinking. Uh, I mean, Canon found a great place for it that I didn't accidentally hit all the time, so I I certainly think that's a mistake. They have to go back on it. The ergonomics on Sony's are always a little weird to me. They have a lot of blank, unassigned dials that um, I can never seem to remember what they're going to do, <laughs> but it's, I think it's a bit more like the Nikon configuration actually where your the pointer finger wheel and the thumb wheel. Uh, I think that's a little more similar to what you would be used to. Yeah. Um, but for me, the configuration's different. So yeah, I get that. Um, Cause every time I, I hold a can and I'm like, how do you change the aperture? Like what's going right. on? <laughs> yeah, it's just in a totally different spot. Yeah. I hate that the 
Sony lenses don't have a manual focus switch on them. This was killing me the whole time. I, I didn't have an adapt. I, I had an adapter that I didn't have with me. I left it at home. <laughs> so I had a Metabones adapter. So I was going to be using my Canon glass and I was unable to. So I was shooting on the Sony glass the whole time. And there's no way to switch to manual focus with a, a like a switch. You need to go into the menus. That was a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, because occasionally I just wanted to take a photo, which in, in the video mode, the manual focus is totally fine. When you want to take a photo, I wanted it to be autofocus, and I would have to both switch the mode of my camera. So I'd switch it to like aperture priority from manual. Mm-hmm. And then also have to go press function and wheel over to a different focus mode. That was awful. Um, and yeah, it just really could have been resolved with a switch. Like that's a dedicated thing to me that you want to be able to just jump back and forth. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe I'm especially with video. using it right, but yeah. Oh, it's driving me crazy. I'm sure, somebody's going to write in and tell me I was doing it wrong, but yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and yeah, also just navigating the menus. Like, there's a lot of physical dials on here and physical buttons, mm-hmm. but many of them are unassigned. Like, there's all these like C1, C2, FN, uh, C3. Um, like things that are kind of ambiguous and maybe that's just a learning curve, but I wasn't able to put them to any kind of use. I was opening up the full menu and scrolling through it every time to continually make changes. Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like that's what Sony used to be even more about. They've gotten a bit better, but they really used to bury everything. And it also gives them Sony branded names. So they wouldn't use the common names that other camera manufacturers would do. Um, God, I'm just going to keep going on negatives. I feel bad for saying so many negative things about <laughs> yeah, a camera that I actually love. I love this camera, but uh, the, the ergonomics just aren't... The, the battery in it is small. It's about a third smaller than the 5D battery, and you can really feel it. I burnt through... <laughs> I don't know how many charges, maybe like four or five charges. Uh, we only had two cam- uh, batteries, so we kept having to recharge them. And by the end, we actually just ran out of juice because oh. the, the shooting was burning the batteries faster than they could recharge. And I think that's to keep the size of the camera down, but I mean, it wasn't worth it for, for our circumstances. So if I was to buy this, we'd need four batteries easily. Is there any kind of like other solution for that? Like some kind of a battery adapter. No, yeah. from what I've from what I've heard, other people just buy more batteries when they use these cameras. I assume it's the same in the yeah, it's got to be the same battery in the A7 and A7R. But it, it really went fast, and part of the reason is because the viewfinder and the monitor stay on almost all the time because it's a mirrorless, right? So you you don't have any prism to look through you don't have any backup it needs to, something electronic needs to be on to see the image so they're oh, constantly yeah. pulling juice if you forget to turn the camera off when you're not using it <clears throat> uh, i feel like it, it, maybe it's in the menus but an auto off function would have been really helpful um i'm sure that would be in the menus it seems like i hope so well i was is. able to i was able to switch it to just one or the other so that uh say just the viewfinders operational um but the I wanted just the monitor to go to sleep and not the camera. Cause the boot up time of this camera wasn't, it's not instant. Like you feel it and you can miss a shot because of it. So turning the whole thing on and off 
wasn't ideal for me. Uh, like a, a the disp- like a dedicated monitor on off button might have helped for that. Right. Screen is great. Pops out, moves up and down. I love the de- dedicated exposure compensation wheel, which wasn't especially useful in video because uh, I was shooting manually. But I like that that is something worth having its own dial. And um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. The lenses were great. I had the 50 millimeter 1.8 and the 35 millimeter 2.8 as ice lenses. Mm-hmm. They're both very sharp, very small. This 35 makes me want Canon to have a similar high quality 35. That's yeah, like 2.8, 2.0. Uh, Canon's 35 2.0 is not nearly this nice. Um, it's cheaper, but not as good. Yeah. And if you get the 1.4, then of course it's a tank. So. Yeah, exactly. It's the extra size. If if I, I would use this size of lens all the time, if this was my 35 on the Canon, um, but my my Canon 35 gets left at home again a lot of the time because it's the same size as my giant 50. And if I'm going to bring one or two big lenses, it's not going to be the ones I use less often. It's going to be I'll bring have room for you know the 50 and the 70 to 200, and then I just leave the other ones at home. So I really like this 35. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's it. It's a nice camera. Yeah. All right. Well, go Sony. Despite all the negative stuff I said, the image (laughs) quality was amazing. It shoots S log, which is like a really flat color profile. So it has way more dynamic range than the Canon's. It's much sharper. The the video quality is infinitely superior to the Canon. And I'm going to be cutting footage from both together into this video. So you'll be able to, well, hopefully you won't be able to see when it's jumping back and forth too much, but I think, you'll really be able to see in the highlights that there's a lot more detail in the Sony. And that's why I wanted to have it for the shoot is because it's just, it's got a lot more range in the image when you shoot in S log. Well, thanks for the review. I still don't want to switch to Sony. Mm. Yeah, I'm not there (laughs) yet either, but, and I still hear that the a seven, which is what you would be looking at is still not quite there. Autofocus wise, that's like the main place that these all these cameras I think are fighting to catch up. Is like it's really hard to do super fast autofocus. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, and when you're shooting a DSLR for anything that's event or wedding or anything like that, like it has to be just super fast. Yeah, and intuitive. Yeah, yeah. You can't be you can't be messing around with your camera. Can't be chimping. Got to be shooting. <laughs> so what are you into this week? Uh I don't know. What am I? Oh, well, okay. What am I into? I'm always into two two things, music or, or photography, right? That's pretty much it. So mm-hmm. uh I got the new this is gonna show my age. This is beautiful. Uh the new Faith No More record, Soul Invictus. <laughs> that does show your age. So That's my cool, age. Though. It's so good. I don't know yeah. if you've if you ever had a moment with this band. Um, no, no, I know who they are, but I, yeah, I, I mean, have my own moment. It's a time and place kind of thing, you know. I think that you know, for me in high school, you know, the first song I heard obviously was was the song "Epic," which was a huge hit, and it's it's ridiculous. It's it's a stupid song, and um, you know, I actually didn't end up buying that record. I ended up buying my first Faith No More record. Um, which was Angel Dust, which is the the second record, which was life changing for me. Like that was the coolest record of that time. 
in my opinion, and still stands as that. And so from there on out, I was a lifelong fan. And uh, it's really cool because it was 21 years without a, a new record. And all of a sudden, they dropped this new record, and it's like, it just it sounds like them in, in really positive ways. It doesn't sound like them trying to be them, like in that. That embarrassing way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, like trying to stretch out their early career forever. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that at all. It just sounds like they, these guys got back together and, you know, they played some reunion shows. That was that, that much was true. Um, <clears throat> and they did some tours and stuff. And, and, uh, I'll, you know, I guess, you know, the, the intention wasn't, hey, let's get back together so we can write a new record. I think the intention was like, hey, let's, uh, get back together and make some money and tour our, our old stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the inspiration was there for them <clears throat> to create a natural new record that sounded awesome. And it is, mm-hmm. I love it. So, yeah, I guess well, that's I, been my, my, I wish I was a faith no more fan just so I could get excited with you. Yeah. Well, you know, sorry. <laughs> no, that's cool. My thing is, uh, maybe going to bore everybody cause I already talked about it, but I'm still just doing nothing but reading watch blogs. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like going deep down the watch rabbit hole because I don't know. It's like camera there's, gear. It's hold on. It's the original stop, gadget stop, gear. Stop. There's there's a watch rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, it's deep. Oh, yeah. It's it's especially deep because it's um the watch industry is really big, but it's the the nicer watches are kind of hidden from view a bit. What I started to realize is that it was hard for me to get a handle on what like, the beautiful watches that were out there because many of the nicest brands aren't carried in like department stores or even some, some of them are in jewelry stores. But um, as, as brands go upscale a bit, and this isn't like luxury watches, but just like many of the, you know, good Swiss made automatic watches are a bit harder to find. So the internet is the perfect place to just sit there drooling over pictures and reading about different movements for hours. But, um, yeah, I've just kind of been trying to wrap my head around really how the watch industry works (laughs) and trying to choose some, someday uh ultimate grail watches to aim for um so what is what is anya's uh perspective of of this watch fascination well she's just glad it's not an apple watch that's that's all she has to say (laughs) which i i still probably want the second round of apple watches i think next year i'll want one as a supplement supplemental watch um, Wait but minute. what I've heard from some of the people that are actual watch nerds, like older watches is they've started to wear the Apple watch and they don't find it as it's not as beautiful. It doesn't have all the same appeal, but it starts to get addictive to have it on your wrist and you end up wanting to keep it on to just to have the, the functional benefits of it. Weird. And that makes me almost afraid to, I'm afraid that I'll, you know, maybe next year I'll buy some really exceptional, beautiful mechanical watch. Then the next year I buy an Apple watch and start wearing it instead. That would, <laughs> that would suck, but well, it'll be funny though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But <laughs> from, from everything I hear, everybody that talks about the Apple watch, it's not, it's still not at the point that this is a necessary part of your life at all. It is completely a 
a bonus. Uh, it can have some nice benefits. It's but, a luxury. Yeah, exactly. But so, uh, very much so, is a mechanical watch. It's something to stare at and to you know just a- appreciate that it is how it works and how it sounds and how it looks. And are so 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 are your your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth cameras, right? <laughs> yeah. I well, I've and I've just found that since I've got my my first automatic watch i've been staring at it a lot like i really like having it on my wrist and it's been consuming my attention um so well that's good i think that 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 is the intention is to to stare at them or at least look at them occasionally and um if you can yeah see what time it is (laughs) and if you can also admire it yeah that's pretty cool too can it can it let me let me ask you this can it can it tell you the the time in different time zones because that seems to be yeah that seems to be the thing that you need well, yeah, that, that's what I'd like to have a GMT watch. I was thinking about this today. So a GMT watch will have a sweeping, it looks like a second hand that is just the 24-hour clock of another time zone. Mm-hmm. And the primary hands are your, your regular time. And that seems really appealing to me so that you can, while you're traveling, keep an eye on where it is at home. I could set, hey, I could set one of them to Washington, D.C., and then we could time our podcasts properly. <laughs> We could actually record on time. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so yeah, I I think that would be great. Um, there's, I mean, there's less options and you pay more for it. So like each each added complication to the watch face brings the price up a bit. But that one seems worth it. Well, I, I think it's cool that you're into something that's that's mechanical. It seems yeah. Seems I mean, there's not many things like that anymore. So yeah. So I I I, I think that on some level I can see the uh, the fascination. Just because it's it's this like precision instrument that's mechanical and it's just so much different than than most of the stuff that we're that we're producing or that we're faced yeah. with. By. Yeah, and the, I mean they've been working basically the same way for a hundred years. Like there haven't been a lot of innovations, to be honest. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of appealing. Yeah, it is kind also, of appealing. I was just on Google and yeah, okay. I just realized that Mike Patton's the guy from Faith No More, mm-hmm. and uh, I've seen him live and. I like some of his solo stuff. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's uh, he's been in more bands than than yeah, I don't even know how many. A lot. Yeah, he just, like just collaborates with everybody and yeah. Well, and right. you know, he fronts a lot of different bands that are that are all really great. Like Tomahawk, great band. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Mr. Bungle. Somehow I paid more attention to him than to Faith No More. Um, I, I think lately, that, but I think that that there's the there's a uh, there's some arguments that that would be fair because I mean I, I was think introduced to him through his uh, beatboxing thing with Rozelle. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean he's he's that's uh, when I saw him actually. He was touring with Rozelle. Yeah, and he's got a, a great label called Ipecac Records, and and he you know he still finds and and releases bands that are interesting. So cool. yeah, it's cool. I like the idea that you can get old and still stay relevant and cool. Get cooler as you get older, like a fine watch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, it's just a matter of like staying true to to yourself as opposed to like your myth, I guess. Um, you know, like I, I think that so many like aging classic rockers, um, you know, become institutions, and then every time they try to do something new, it just sounds so stupid. Like, when's the last time you heard a Rolling Stones record that was like? After it came out, new that was worth listening to. 
did they release anything new? I haven't been paying attention. I mean, they've been releasing records for, you know, 50 years or something, but like, um, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I don't put on anything that's newer than the nineties. Okay. So that's let's, a general let's, rule. Let's use, I don't put on anything that's newer than 2000. Let's use you too. Cause I mean, they're basically the same thing now. Okay. They're an right. institution. And when's the last time they, they made a record that was, that was honestly good. Uh, Joshua tree. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my point. I think that I think that actually, uh, Octune Baby was was a pretty good record. But like, let's not talk much more about you two than that. I'm just using it as an example of like, look how stupid you can get. Are we going to end the podcast on the note of you two? No, let's not. Let's actually talk about something that's that's much cooler. <laughs> something uplifting. Um. Where can people find you? How about that? How about your new website? The new website you just launched. I haven't launched it. Oh shit! Never what? mind. Now we're going to end this on a downer. Can you help me? Let's with talk. That, a, let's talk about making a website for you. Yeah. I also, you know, I was thinking that maybe I should, um, maybe I should also have a blog and kind of talk about that talks about like my adventures in film because it is so different than everything else. You should. But then you'd have something to put on your website. Yeah. I think that'd be fun because I mean I think my professional website needs to be about the stuff that I do as a professional, and I think that the film stuff is is separate from that. You know. Well, yeah, but it can all be at it can all be found at CameronWhitman.com. That's once, right. Once That's, it exists, I mean, now it, right today, if you type in CameronWhitman.com, it will take you to my largest online portfolio, which is Stocksy.com. So fair enough, but soon. Uh, presumably, I will have another website <laughs> that it will take you to, and it'll have other things. I can't wait. I, and can I'm I. Tyler Stallman, and you can find me at stallman.com. And uh, this podcast is there as well. So, And if you like this podcast, then please review us on iTunes. It helps. Yes, please do that. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>